0: It's the media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. I'm a big B ball fan, have been ever since I grew up in the asphalt jungle of Brooklyn, where we would often play three on three if we didn't have a full court or didn't have enough people to play full court. And uh, so, you know, watched NBA over the years and everything, and I. Uh, Love to see great shooters. Which brings me to this item in The Athletic. Lots of people may have seen this on TV. If not, you ought to check it out. Steph Curry, you know, we all know is a four-time NBA champion, um, two-time regular season MVP. But what's just amazing about him is his range and how he shoots the ball and how he's revolutionized the game with three-pointers. But this was something else. Um, When the Golden State Warriors were, I guess, warming up, Steph Curry went to the opposite tunnel, dribbled the ball, turned around, stared at the far basket before giving it a huge heave the entire length of the court from behind the tunnel where the players walk out, and swish, it goes in. He made it. I mean, I still can't believe it. Maybe he couldn't believe it. Anyway, I salute such athleticism. I mean, the guy is just incredible. Uh, It's Friday, so this is when I uh, tell you I hope you have a good weekend coming up. I have a dilemma with Media Buzz, the TV show, which you can see 11 in. Eastern Sunday morning on Fox, which is I've got about five more things I've got to get into the show, but mostly we already have those segments filled, Uh, so I've got to brainstorm, talk to my staff, figure out what we can cut, what we can trim, if anything needs to be tossed out. Um, It's it's challenging, and and I knew this would be happening because of the Trump trials and other things. So we'll come back to that in a second. But meanwhile, a little follow-up for you. Kelly O'Donnell of NBC, president of the White House Correspondents Association. You've seen her on the tube for decades. Well, when Biden-White House spokesman Ian Sams sent out a letter chastising the press, and I talked about this, I believe, just yesterday over its coverage of the special counsel's report on Joe Biden Um, just made a lot of news. He was calling out the press for the reporting on the details of the classified documents and how basically, in his view, the president had been exonerated. So she put out a statement saying that this letter from Ian Sams of the White House is misdirected as a nonprofit organization. The uh, WHCA does not, cannot and will not serve as a repository for the government's views of what's in the news. The White House has far reached to make its positions known on the Robert Hur report or any other matter. The White House has contact information for every bureau chief, every editor, every reporter covering the beat, and should reach out to them directly with any concerns about their decisions. In its 110 year history, our association has never controlled or policed the journalism that is published or broadcast by our members. It is inappropriate for the White House to utilize internal pool distribution channels. We will not distribute them going forward. So the beef here is. You know, you want to make the argument you want to take on, um, as that letter did. It, it gave sample headlines from NBC and CNN and I believe CBS and AP, basically saying what the report said on the like, second page, which is that Biden willfully obtained and disclosed classified information. But then if you dig into the bowels of the report, it says, uh, this could not be proven, you know, beyond reasonable doubt, and therefore not bringing the case." Anyway, basically, the White House reporters group felt used because it was there you know, the, they press a button, and everybody who's on the list and covers the White House um, gets it. Anyway, there's some serious stuff to get to, and I want to start right now with story. Number one, uh, I think the Western world woke up to the devastating, tragic, heartbreaking news that Alexei Navalny, Vladimir Putin's most famous and outspoken critic, is dead. He has been for a long period of time in this harsh. Russian prison in the Arctic. 47 years old. And remember the history here. There was an attempt to poison him with nerve gas that he survived. So the Kremlin's been trying to get him for a long time. He went back to his native country in 2021. He was barred through some kind of chicanery from ever running for president, but he was an outspoken critic. And it was just late last year that he was moved to this Arctic prison from other prisons. And the way the Russian media are describing it, he was taking a walk and uh, lost consciousness and attempts to revive him were unsuccessful. And, you know, it's such uh, blatant garbage and propaganda. It's like, we're going to have an investigation of what happened. What happened is they killed him. Secretary of State Tony Blinken holding Russia responsible for Navalny's death. Now, I'm not saying... They killed him in the sense that, you know, like a firing squad or beat him up. What happened is his health has been deteriorating. His health has been deteriorating. And according to uh, some reporting by the Washington Post, they kept sending him to a punishment cell. 27 times for more than 300 days for the most made-up, trivial bullshit, failing to keep his top button fastened, according to his team. And so this past Wednesday, two days ago, when he was sent to a punishment cell for the 27th time, having only recently got out of a punishment cell a few days earlier... He was in this cell on the day he died. Now, of course, his advocates had been warning about this, that they feared for his life. He lost weight, his health was deteriorating. And so, whether it was, you know, air quotes, natural causes, Vladimir Putin and Russia killed this man with impunity. Not worrying about any global outcry and so forth. And you have the Prime Minister of Great Britain, European leaders. The President of the European Union says Russia is responsible for this tragic death. Norway's Foreign Minister bears a heavy responsibility. Exiled oligarch Mikhail Kordakovsky. If this is true, then regardless of the formal cause, Vladimir Putin personally bears responsibility for his premature death, having first authorized Alexei's poisoning and then imprisoning him. And some of the networks are referring to or showing footage of President Biden in 2021, the same year that Navalny returned to his country, saying that If he were to die, the consequences would be devastating. However, there's very little the U.S. can do, given that we have been, at least until recently, supporting Ukraine in this brutal, unprovoked invasion by Russia against a sovereign country. And now, of course, as I've been talking about for weeks now, and so has much of the media and so has much of the world, you know, partisan, petty politics, where this got tied up, aid to Ukraine and Israel, got tied up with the border security provisions and they couldn't, looks like they were going to pass it. Donald Trump came out against it. The Senate has now passed a very large military aid bill that would include Ukraine, that would include Israel, that would include Taiwan. But there's no border security in it because the Republicans killed it. And I'm not blaming all Republicans. Mitch McConnell has been a steadfast champion of finding the way to provide military aid to Ukraine. And, you know, Ukraine, the war has been going on for quite a long time, so it kind of fades out of the news. But whenever the Russians feel like it, they they send bombs that hit apartment buildings, schools where there are going to be con- uh, uh, civilian casualties. Of course, it's deliberate. It's a way to wear down the resistance of the Ukrainian people. And right now, although Europe has provided some aid, but Europe doesn't have a munitions factory kind of economy where they can provide a lot of stuff quickly, the U.S. is facing a situation where by the spring, the Ukrainians may well run out of ammunition may well run out of anti-aircraft uh defenses. And as I've heard many people in the media and politics say, you know, we we can we're spending we've spent a lot of money on helping Ukraine and Zelensky and they are fighting Putin They are, I mean, the incredible bravery of these people. Russia is about to take over a town that the Ukrainians had captured. And given that the Kremlin has managed to neutralize or get around some of the U.S. sanctions, um, he'll undoubtedly get away with it. But for those who are like, oh, Putin isn't so bad, or we should get along with Vladimir Putin— I mean, we're talking here about a stone cold killer. People kill on his behalf. Remember the head of the Wagner group who was sort of trying to take over the war in Ukraine, then stood down, mysteriously died in a plane crash. Such a coincidence. Look at the critics of Vladimir Putin who have fallen out of buildings. Fallen out of windows to their death? I mean, if this doesn't remind our country and our media, which, has, which is covering the hell out of this one that broke this morning, but which has a short attention span, let's face it, of how dangerous, how little regard for human life Vladimir Putin has, I don't know what will. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, let me move on to story number two. I watched almost all day yesterday the hearing in Georgia. Talked about it, talked about what was going to happen a little bit yesterday. And it was both absolutely riveting and it just made me cringe. And Fonnie Willis, the Fulton County District Attorney heading this huge RICO case against Donald Trump and many co-defendants actually took the stand. And that was not expected. What was expected, because she had been subpoenaed and was fighting the subpoena, was that the special prosecutor that she hired, her boyfriend, Nathan Wade, was going to be the key witness responding to this other woman who worked in that office, who says as early as 2019, she saw the two of them kissing and hugging. Nathan Wade insisted that, that wasn't true. He also testified that he didn't have any romantic relationship with her in 2020 and part of 2021 because he was battling cancer. And this was during the pandemic. So he said he wasn't dating anyone. He rarely went out. But he did acknowledge that a relationship, and they had all kinds of euphemisms, personal relationship, a romantic relationship. And at some point, one of the lawyers just said, well, you're having sex. Wade himself used the word intercourse. That began in early 2022. Conveniently, he says, after he was hired for the Trump case in November of 2021. And, I mean, it kind of made me cringe at all the questions about how many times did they spend the night together? When did that start? When did that end? Uh, Who paid for these trips? And the money is the key to it. Because the original accusation against Fannie Willis, who, by the way, the the fact that she even has to go through this hearing, she screwed this up royally. She never should have been in a position of hiring this man. Um, You know, they took – this sums it up. Nathan Way was asked about a cruise they took and he was – basically the answer was which one? We took two cruises. Um, to other nice places around the country and around the world. Well, who paid for it? Well, we split it. Well, how did you split it? Well, I would pay sometimes and she would pay sometimes. How did she pay you? She paid in cash. And there was this whole thing about how Fonnie Willis, um, under um, the guidance of her dad, who had been a Black Panther, according to news reports, kept anywhere from a few thousand dollars to $15,000 at home because, as a woman, she needed to be independent, and even if she went on a date, she had to um, have, you know, 200 bucks because the date might bail on her and she would need a way to get home. So, you know, are there any receipts? Nathan Wade says no. She just gave me the cash. I didn't keep any receipts. Not a single shred. Okay, so that goes on and on and on and on. And then... Bonnie Willis walks into the courtroom and says, I'm waiving my objection to the subpoena. I want to testify. She was hot. She felt like she was being wronged and she wanted to clear her name and salvage her career. And then we went through everything again about the cash. Where did you get the cash? Well, that cash has been there for years. So I don't know originally where it came from. It might have come from my state job. It might have come from when I was in private practice before I became the district attorney. She immediately accused one of the opposition lawyers, and there are several, and she had to go through this uh, grilling with each of them, of lying about her, holding up uh, a report from the first opposition lawyer. This is a lie. You lie repeatedly about me. She says... That her romantic relationship with Nathan Wade ended last August 2023 after they had a tough conversation. Now, at first, she was rambling a lot and and going into details that weren't asked. The judge had to admonish her to stick to the questions. But here's what she said about the press. And the defense filings that she says are not true. We used to be in a day and a time when you had 60 minutes and people did stories and they verified information and you had this great reporting. But it seems today that a lawyer writes a lie and then it's printed for all the world to see. Now, both of them, Willis and Wade, were asked about the first time they met. And they were introduced briefly by... A judge at some conference said they talked for about three minutes. But Fonnie Willis says, in response to a question, that she found it extremely offensive that a lawyer for one of Trump's co defendants would insinuate in previous filings that she slept with Nathan Wade the very first time they met back in 2019. And so, you know, she went on and on about if we were, had meals, I would pay, and the next time he would pay. No, there wasn't any receipts. It's Absolutely untrue, she says, that she financially benefited because, for example, on one vacation trip, I think it was one of the cruises. He had booked it because he took a lot of cruises, Nathan Wade and – spent a lot of money on such things, and she gave him the money even before they boarded the yacht, boarded the boat, cash from her store of cash at home. That's their story. Obviously, it's open to question. I would say... Well, usually you wouldn't put somebody like Fonnie Willis on the stand that she was effective in the sense that even the fact that she was angry, you know, kind of reinforced the view that she believes these are all lies. On the other hand, this is the biggest case of her life going up against the foreign president of the United States and to hire this guy that at times she said she was just close friends with him or romantic or whatever it was. He didn't even have any particular sort of prosecutorial experience. He'd been a judge. He was an experienced lawyer. But it was kind of an S show, and it was kind of embarrassing to watch. Probably good for the ratings. All three cable news networks taking it live because it was televised. You know, this is the difference between having reporters standing in front of the courthouse saying, then he said this, and then she said this, and then the judge said this and actually be able to watch it. It was court TV. Now, you will not be shocked to hear that Donald Trump had something to say about this on Truth Social. Fani never paid cash, he said. She got free trips and other things from her lover with the exorbitant amounts of money she authorized to be paid. A giant scam. Witch hunt, three exclamation points. All of that was in caps. They're talking about the Georgia Fani scandal all over the world. In fact, by far, it is trending. I can't believe the Georgia state judiciary or the governor can be happy about this humiliating embarrassment, says Trump. It was a fake case from the start. And now everybody sees it for what it is. Major League scandal. Now, of course, the question is whether or not she'll be removed from the case. And if she is removed from the case, does that mean that some other senior prosecutor comes in and takes over, or is the whole prosecution team kicked off because they're tainted by what Fannie Willis did? There were a lot of questions about, did people in the office know? And she said, no. Well, why not? Why was it a secret? Because it's my private life. I didn't want to parade it in front of the office. Which slides me into story number three which was the other case in New York that the former president attended a hearing yesterday, which, bottom line, the judge, Juan Merchan, rejected Trump's bid to throw out the charges against him. This is the infamous hush money payments to Stormy Daniels case at the end of the 2016 campaign. And the judge said a trial date for next month, March 25th, which, barring further delays, will ensure that Trump will face at least one jury before Election Day. The case about uh, expected to last about six weeks. This is the one brought by Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, a Democrat. He said he was pleased by the judge's decision. Now, You know, we've talked for so long about what if Trump's convicted and what if Trump this and what if Trump goes on trial. And there's no question that these four indictments, two state, two federal, have helped him with his base. Just from their point of view and from his point of view. Targeted by Democrats. Targeted by the Biden Justice Department, he would say. So, Really, this case was not supposed to go first. It's the January 6th case that was supposed to go go first. So instead, I think it'll be—I don't know. Obviously, there's some embarrassing content here. You're talking about a porn star who says she slept exactly once with Donald Trump. He has always denied that. But why then would using Michael Cohn, who will obviously be a key witness here, as the middleman— Was she paid, what was it, in the vicinity of $150,000 to keep quiet? And she was given a column in one of David Pecker's magazines, David Pecker having been the publisher of the National Enquirer and a close longtime friend of Donald Trump. So as the New York Times puts it, facing a lengthy legal docket in courtrooms up and down the East Coast, Trump has sought to turn the calendar to his advantage by pushing for appeals and delays. One of his lawyers, Todd Blanche, called the schedule unfathomable, saying we're in the middle of primary season, claiming the trial will overlap with dozens of Republican primaries and caucuses. But Judge Murchon was not impressed by those arguments. I just think the idea that this case, you know, however Some people may say, well, you know, this was uh, an effort to shut somebody up who had damaging information on Donald Trump. But, you know, it it comes down to the alleged crime here is the use of private or corporate money to keep this woman quiet. And look, it's tawdry. Does it rise to the level, especially given the outright partisanship of Alvin Bragg, where we should even take it seriously? I guess the choice is we have no other alternative but to take it seriously because New York jury, he could be convicted, and he could draw a jail term. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Let's go ahead with number four. Joe Biden's top lawyers exchanged confrontational letters with senior Justice Department officials before and after that damaging report from Special Counsel Robert Hur. I guess they're given a chance to comment on it. And the president's lawyers say that Herr's comments about his poor memory and things he couldn't remember or any, and so on. Quote, openly, obviously, and blatantly violate department policy and practice. A lot of news organizations have obtained these letters. Looking here at a Washington Post account, shows how upset by Biden's legal team was. It created, you know, political shockwaves, and I think that's an understatement. Elderly man with a poor memory. First of all, Biden's lawyer said her had no reason to put together a 388-page report. DOJ regulations are if you don't indict someone, you just send a confidential summary to the AG. Well, that wouldn't have gone over too well in the uh, Court of Public Opinion. So then it became Joe Biden and the attorney general that he appointed, Merrick Garland. And he appointed Garland because he was seen, you know, former Supreme Court nominee as a, as a straight shooter who would not, you know, bend things to benefit the president who named him. So the White House Counsel's Office and Biden attorney Bob Bauer— initially wrote to her saying this is outrageous, then sent a scathing letter directly to Merrick Garland the day before his report was made public, saying he was making the same mistake that Jim Comey did in trashing Hillary Clinton in 2016, but not indicting her. Uh, Here's a quote. Mr. Hur's criticism of President Biden mirrors one of the most widely recognized examples in recent history of inappropriate Prosecutor criticism of uncharged conduct. The FBI and DOJ's personnel's criticism. And it refers to the 2016 episode with Comey. objected to her use of the president's inability to recall specific dates. And therefore saying his memory was significantly limited we object to the multiple denigrating statements about President Biden's memory, which violate DOJ policy. Um, And so it turns out, you know, Biden, understandably, was very emotionally upset, and you saw this at his uh, disastrous press conference, so they brought up the death of my son, Beau. Uh, Not a day goes by when I don't think about him. Well, it turns out that Biden brought up the death of his son and he knew the date on which Beau Biden had died but he couldn't remember the year. I don't know. Would that happen to a lot of people? You can't remember which year. Remember this is a day after that uh, Hamas attacked Israel and the president had a lot going on. So The letter goes on and on and says to criticize President Biden, this has to do with the retention of documents, for a practice that his predecessors openly engaged in, a practice that the Justice Department has in the past acknowledged and declined to investigate, exemplifies the reasons why a bipartisan consensus arose to change the prior report writing function. Hmm. In other words, keeping some classified memos and documents to help you write a book. And lots of folks have, in fact, done that. All right, number five. And speaking of President Joe Biden, this kind of blows a hole in the effort by House Republicans to impeach him. The special counsel in that case, David Weiss, who had previously filed criminal charges against Hunter, and it goes back to when he wasn't a special counsel and the sweetheart deal that Hunter Biden got, that got thrown out. Now Hunter Biden's been indicted on felony tax charges. Well, David Weiss has just unveiled a new indictment. It's against the former FBI informant who prosecutors now say lied about the Biden's business dealings. This accused in L.A., Alexander Smirnov, of making false statements and creating a false and fictitious record. And he has been a key witness that Republican congressman and committee chairman James Comer has relied upon. They've said, look at this guy and look what he says. He is a former confidential source for the FBI who gave agents false information in 2020 about a prominent political figure and his son matching Joe and Hunter. This is according to the indictment. He allegedly reported to an FBI agent in 2017, that was just after um, Biden left office as vice president, that he had a phone call with the owner of the Ukrainian firm, Burisma. And it was discussed that public official one, Biden's son, was on the company's board. That was publicly known. In 2020, he brought new claims saying that he knew of conversations from a few years earlier in which Burisma executives said they hired the son, quote, to protect us through his dad from all kinds of problems. Those claims by Smirnoff were false. Now, this is kind of embarrassing when your star witness or one of them himself gets indicted for lying about the very thing that he is telling the FBI, how President Biden, now President Biden, sort of did inappropriate things with his son to boost his son's business. Now, we know about the phone calls and so forth. Uh, I don't think this answers every question that's been raised, but I think it, it kind of blows a hole. I mean, listen to this. Comer puts out a statement saying the FBI's actions in this matter are Very concerning. He criticized the FBI for not being more forthcoming about what it knew about Smirnov's allegations. But, you know, ongoing criminal investigation, you don't generally have federal prosecutors brief a member of Congress. It just doesn't work that way. So basically, Comer seems to be challenging this, but he's— I think, moderated his comments. And so bottom line, I don't know if Speaker Mike Johnson is going to try to proceed with impeachment charges in an election year against Joe Biden. The later in the year it gets, the more far-fetched it seems because the voters will have a chance to oust the president in November. But this indictment is absolutely eye-opening. And I don't think it's a, you know, obviously people who still uh, are on Hunter Biden's trail are not going to give up. But it really does blow a pretty big hole in this case. They're not just questioning his credibility, they're saying he lied about this case. Well, um, have fun this weekend. I will spend today figuring out, for example, a couple of the stories I just read you need to get into uh, the program on Sunday. Media Buzz, I hope you'll watch. And i got to figure out how to do that. But in the meantime, I'll be back Monday. And we'll see you then with more Buzzmeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music.